Good day, everyone. <laughs> uh, my name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors here at EV. It's great to see you. Uh, I just like to echo uh, Adrian's welcome to you if you're a, a newcomer uh, or a visitor with us. We're so glad that you're here. Um, particularly as today we're finishing off our summer series and we're looking at this question. Hopefully, it will come up on the screen. What is a Christian? That's what we've been looking at over the last four weeks uh, here at church. It's been a great opportunity to get back to the very basics, um, the real core and centre of Christianity. And, and I do want to say, just step back and, and look at that question in the white there, I think we'll realise, even though um, it looks like a simple question to answer, the reality is it's a really relevant one because, well, it's not that simple, is it? Um, even though Christianity is the biggest religion in the world, and all of us have had some kind of interaction or involvement with it at some stage. Even the fact you're here, this might be your very first one, but here you are. Um, it's not simple to answer. There's, there's actually a really broad diversity of ways uh, to answer the question. Last year, we actually went out and we surveyed the coast. Um, and we asked them that question, what is a Christian? And these are some of the answers that came up with some of the top answers. Um, should be coming up. Top answers. Top answers. I can read them. There we go. Okay. What is a Christian? And these are some of the best answers. Someone who tries to be a good person. Someone who believes in God. Someone from a Christian family. A hypocrite. And here's my favourite one. Uh, don't know. Now that person was obviously from Newcastle or something. I slipped in. <laughs> obviously visiting. That's no one from the South. I'm kidding. I love it. I love it. I reckon that's a really good representation of most people's sort of comprehension of Christianity. It's around background, behavior, or branding. You know, uh, what your family is, uh, how you act, or maybe just how you label yourself. The reason there is such a broad diversity of answers, uh, I think there's good reasons. Um, it's simply put because of um, the different way that Christianity is portrayed in our culture. As I said, all of us have got our own involvement and interactions in our history. Um, our parents do, our grandparents do, so on and so forth. Uh, you've got the, the different ways Christianity is talked about uh, in the media, in entertainment, um, literature, music, movies, so on. Uh, but of course, then within Christianity, you've got all the different flavours, the different denominations of Christianity. And so it's no surprise that actually uh, it can feel a little bit confusing. Uh, that there is such a broad diversity that if we asked everyone here to answer it down anonymously, I, I guarantee you there'd be a really, really big range of answers. But I do want to say that, that here at church, we're utterly convinced that it's, at its very core and centre, it's not meant to be this way. Um, that Christianity, as I hope we've seen over the last three weeks, is actually very simple, it's very straightforward, uh, and even better than that, uh, we think it's, it's incredibly beautiful and true. If you've been here the last three weeks, or if you haven't, let me, let me summarise, I guess, what we've looked at. And that is that Christianity, at its very centre and heartbeat, is all about Jesus Christ. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he says, what he did, that forms the nucleus of our faith. That Jesus was a real person who lived, a real man, 2,000 years ago he lived, but also that he is God, um, that he, he came to life, he, he came to, to earth, I should say, on a mission, and that mission was to die. He, he died on a cross, he truly died. But last week we saw uh, that he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead, he physically rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he rules and reigns over the world as king. That's what Christianity is about. There is no Christianity without Jesus Christ. But what we're looking at today is what we hope is the logical next question. 
um, the logical next question that, that many people would ask, and that is, well, that's a lot of information about Jesus. That's terrific. But what about me? Um, if I agree with all those things, or if, if I think they're true, well, how do I respond to that? What does it actually mean to become a Christian? Um, in fact, what is a Christian, really? And what is the, the Christian life look like in practice, the day-to-day? Is it a one-off and then that's it? Or is there something deeper, something more than that going on? Uh, We think those are excellent questions, logical questions uh, to look at, and and that's what we're going to be doing today. And, and of course, one of the great things is that Jesus, in the the biographies we've got of him in the Bible um, that we just read from, he does not just speak about himself. Um, He does speak about himself, establishing his identity and, and his mission for us. But he also spends a lot of time speaking about you, and me, about us, about what our lives are meant to be about and how we're meant to respond. Um, And so uh, there's no one better to go to to find the answer to these questions than Jesus himself, and that's what we're going to be doing today. So with your Bible, if you've got it there in front of you, keep it open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't, though, some of these verses uh, will be on the screen. Um, And we're going to have a look at at what Jesus says uh, about... Um, the very core of Christianity, what it is to become one and what it is to be one. The first thing I want you to notice at the very beginning of the reading is in verse 13 and 14, and this should be hopefully coming up on the screen, verse 13 and 14, um, is that Jesus speaks about Christianity in a way that you might never have understood before. I want you to look at these two verses as Jesus uh, tells a story that represents something bigger. um, And I want you to take note of two things. Firstly, the invitation. Secondly, the incentive. Look at the very first few words that Jesus says as he speaks about Christianity. Enter through the narrow gate. Just pause there. What's that first word? Enter. Many of us think Christianity is something that we're born into. It's something that happens as a result of our family heritage, something we inherit, or maybe it's something that happens as a result of our behavior. It's just something that's, that's there and we're good enough to... But that's not the way Jesus portrays Christianity at all. Jesus portrays Christianity as something that you enter into. So something that you're not in and then something that you are in, something you enter into. But take note as well, of course, that the invitation is very broad. Uh, It's to anyone, everyone, everywhere. He doesn't say, if you're a rich white man, enter. Although if if you're a rich white man, please do enter. If you're black or, or Asian, if whatever gender, whatever race, whatever demographic you're in, enter. It's an open invitation. Everyone, everywhere, enter. Now, what's the incentive? Have a look at verse 14. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to where? What's that word? You see it? Life. So Jesus is inviting everyone to enter, and the end result of entering is life. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says life? he means two things. He means a new life today. Um, Life um, no longer with yourself in control, but actually following God, following Jesus as your king. A new life today, a fresh start, but also eternal life to come, heaven. So let's just take a step back here for a moment. What is Jesus saying here about Christianity? Jesus is saying... In fact, he's more than just saying. He's inviting everyone everywhere to enter in to Christianity. And as a result of that, you will receive life, new life today, and eternal life in heaven forever. And that's an invitation that's open to anyone, everyone, everywhere. 
That's a pretty good offer, isn't it? It might well be at this case, at this stage, you're going, well, that sounds good. Okay, I'm hearing that. Here's an offer to heaven. Gee whiz, okay, sure. But, now there's, there's a group of hesitations here which I think are absolutely valid. But a lot of people say, well, if anything, it sounds too good to be true. What does it actually mean to, to accept this invitation? What's the catch? What's the hidden writing? What do I need to do in order to get in? When Jesus isn't sitting next to me right now with a written invitation, like a birthday invite or anything like that, so how do I actually take him up on this offer? What, what are you saying there? And actually, is there any way we can know for sure um, that it has happened? How do I know once I've entered into what it is that Jesus promises? Now, these are excellent questions, excellent questions um, that deserve an answer. And that's what we're going to do. I, I do want to answer them. But in order to do so, I actually want to ask you two questions. Two questions that I just want you to answer as honestly as possible, just in the silence, don't shout out the answer, just in the silence of your own mind, that I hope will get us thinking um, uh, deeply about what Jesus is saying here. So, so question number one, it'll be on the screen. Um, it's pretty simple. Are you going to heaven? Just take a moment. How would you answer that? Several years ago, I met with a man called um, Ian, and Ian had only a few weeks to live. Um, he wasn't a Christian, but his family were, and he wanted, um, they wanted him to meet with a, a minister, a pastor. And so we sat there, and we talked about Jesus. We talked about what Jesus says about life and afterlife. And, um, I, I asked him this question. You know, when you're sitting with someone weeks away, you know, the, the niceties don't matter anymore. And I asked him this question, Ian, are you going to heaven? And Ian thought about it for a long time. And he looked at me and said, I don't know. I'll risk it. I'll risk it. Now, I think one of the most common answers is actually, maybe not I'll risk it, but I hope so. Is that what you said? I hope so. I hope I've done enough, been good enough, whatever it is. I hope so. What I want to say to you um, this morning is um, that you don't need to um, simply just hope. I mean, hope is good, but we actually can know for sure. In fact, what I hope to share with you over the next little while is that one way or the other, you can know exactly um, what's going to happen after you die. You see, I'm absolutely certain that when I die, I am going to heaven. And I know what that sounds like. I know how arrogant that sounds. I know how you might think, gee whiz, how's this ego fit in this enormous building? But I want to promise you that actually we can know. God tells us how we can know. But in order to explain exactly how that can be the case, I want to ask you a second question. This question takes a little bit more time to think of, but, but here it is. Here's the second question. If you died tonight and you stood before God and he asked, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Just take a moment, just, just answer that honestly in your own mind. Why should I let you into heaven? That's, that's, that's a harder one to answer, isn't it? 
Well, Jesus makes it clear to us that actually um, there's really only two ways you could possibly answer that question. There's actually only two possible ways you could answer it. And one of them is right and one of them is wrong. Remember back to the, um, verse 13 and 14, Jesus, um, the verses we looked at before, have a look at them in front of you if you've got it there. Jesus is speaking about two paths, one narrow, one wide. One leads to life, one leads to death. Then in verse 24 and 27, a little bit later in those selection of sort of stories that Jesus tells, uh, this is a parable, that's a story with a moral meaning. Jesus talks about uh, houses, two houses, um, one that's built on the rock and it's sturdy and strong, one that's built on the sand and just collapses uh, with the slightest pressure. Now, um, I want to make it very clear, Jesus is not speaking about paths and houses. He's speaking about life. He's speaking about your life. And what he's saying is that there's two ways to live. One way leads to life. It's built on a firm foundation. One leads to death, built on a shaky, unstable, breakable foundation. And so the challenge for us is to work out which, which path we're actually on, which type of life we're actually living, and, and what it looks like to live that type of life, and whether it's possible to cross uh, in between them. So let's look at both of these options um, just one by one. The first option that Jesus talks about, you see it there, verse 13 and 14, is the wide path, um, the, the house that's built on, um, on the sand. <clears throat> now, what does this actually represent? <clears throat> I beg your pardon, not COVID, promise, not COVID. Okay, what does this represent? Verse 26, let me read to you. Jesus does this explanation. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So the wide path that Jesus talks about, the house on the sand, represents simply living life ignoring God. Ignoring Jesus, following your own way. And probably the most helpful way to consider this philosophy of life, this way of living, is that your life's success, future, um, everything is about me. Not me, you. Not you, yourself. It's about you. That if you want anything in your life, you've got to work for it. Um, that the success and the meaning, the purpose, the very essence of your life is built around your own attainment, achievement, accomplishment. That that's what makes life successful. You're, you're the, the master of your ship, the captain of your soul. And so when it comes to, to heaven, entering into Christianity, entering into heaven, well, um, you, you transfer that philosophy to, to heaven. And you think, well, if, if um, I am to get to heaven, then I need to work for it. I need to be good enough to get there, my achievement, my accomplishment, my attainment. And I want to say on one level, I completely understand because this makes perfectly logical sense on one level. If you want anything in life, what are you got to do? You've got to work. If you want a good job, you've got to work for it. If you want a good house, you've got to work for it. If you want good kids, you've got to work at it. And then half the time it doesn't even work. But still, you try your hardest. And so if you want heaven, you want good afterlife, well, it makes sense on one level that, that you need... You need to work for it, that it's going to be about you. Now, the question is, what do we mean by, um, by, by being good, good enough? Because this concept of heaven pretty much says, well, um, I think heaven is a place for good people, hell is a place for bad people, and so I need to do enough good things in order to qualify me to step up to the next level. Does that make sense? And this is very, very common. Most people think some version of this exists about the afterlife. Uh, heaven is the good place. I need to be good to get there. Now, what do we mean by good? Well, that can change and depend on, from person to person. Thank you very much. Now, that's good. Gee whiz. 
What do we mean by good? Well, we mean morality, doing good things, being charitable, kind, generous, avoiding bad things, trying not to lie, not to cheat, not to steal, not murder, no, they're really bad things. Um, being tolerant. Um, some good things that we can think of are religious. So we think, um, I need to do religious things in order to, to work my way to God. Religious things like, or Christian version of that would be baptism, confirmation, communion, read your Bible, say your prayers, I do all these things. Or it could be you've got a, a different religious experience, mosque, temple, um, wh- whatever it is. You do all these things and God will look at you and go, you've made it, you've been good enough, um, the scales are balanced in your favour. I want to suggest that most people I've ever met believe this is what Christianity is about. Most people I've ever met believe this is exactly how you get to heaven. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no. That's not true. Not one of those good works individually, nor all of them collectively, is enough to qualify you for heaven. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Jesus makes it absolutely clear for us that being good is not how you get to heaven. Your good works, your avoidance of bad works, is not how you qualify for heaven. But how can he say that? What does he mean? Well, he explains it by pointing out two things. Firstly, we can never get to heaven on the basis of our good works Simply because God's standard is too high. According to Jesus, God's standard is 100% perfection. Perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, it says in Matthew 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Perfection. Now, who here has nailed that? No, don't put your hand. Well, you might. Let's talk later if you think you have. I'll put some water over your head and we'll see how you go. Perfection. And what that means is if you've stuffed it just once, if you've fallen short just once, you're not going to make it. What that means when we're honest with ourselves, if we apply what Jesus says about life and death and heaven and, and Christianity, is that simply put, we're not good enough. You're not good enough. And I know that's very hard to hear, and I know that might even be very, very confronting. We, we tend to think of it more like this. Now, let's see if the technology works. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. I want you to imagine this is a scale of goodness. Okay, like a cha- uh, uh, yeah, scale. Scale of goodness. You know what I mean. At the top is God. Perfect. God made the rules. He keeps the rules. Makes perfect sense. Perfect, holy God. Now, where are we? Where do you think you are? Well, we're not perfect. I've never. We've never probably done anything truly, truly wicked and awful. So most of us tend to think, oh, we're not, you know, not perfect. None of us would say that, but not too bad, not too bad. Now, where are the really bad people? Well, the really bad ones, they're all the way down here. <laughs> Hitler, etc. Truly wicked, evil people, they're all the way down there. I wonder if that represents your sort of self-opinion. It's very, very common. I'd say most people think some version of this about life. God perfect, there you are, there's Hitler. Now, the million-dollar question for us is, what's God's cutoff line for heaven, for entry? And most people I know would say, well, I hope it's around here. 
just beneath me. And I've done just enough, I hope, um, in order to qualify me for heaven. Um, I wonder if that's what you think. If you do, you're in good company. Most people I know think some version of that is absolutely applicable to life. Many people think that's exactly what Christianity says as well. But the fact is that Jesus makes it very clear to us that if we want to make ourselves good enough to God, go right ahead. Yet that is not the cutoff line for heaven. That is. And simply put, you're not good enough. Simply put, that is incredibly difficult. More than difficult, I want to suggest to you it's impossible. Why? Well, because Jesus says we all sin. Now, sin is a word that can come with a lot of baggage for many of us. I completely understand that. But, but let's just understand what the definition of sin is. We often think of sin as the bad things that you know, people do or other people do or we do. We lie, cheat, steal. That's sin. Now, those are examples of sin. But that is not the definition of sin. They're examples. They're symptoms of sin. Sin is actually a sort of... Um, it comes from within, Jesus says. It comes from the heart. Sin means a rejection of God. Something we all do. And that does not just mean, oh, I don't believe in God. Rejection of God means God tells us how to live. He tells us what to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we go, oh, no. I know better. And we might never say that, articulate that to God, but that's exactly how we act. That's, that's what we do. Sin means rejecting God as the king of your life. And instead... Acting like you are. You know, I, I, let me try and explain it. Imagine going to London and you go to Buckingham Palace and you go on a tour of Buckingham Palace and you go through every room. Okay, you go through the ballrooms and the bedrooms and the bathrooms and the kitchens, everything. You know, you're just like, wow, this is incredible. But finally, you get to the room that you've been waiting for. You get to the throne room. You look in and there's this enormous golden throne at the end of this huge room. And there's the crown jewels, and there's the staff thing she holds, and the cape. It's not a cape. It's a robe, a cape, like the Queen's a super... It's not that. Okay, there, there's this room. Now, the tour guide explains what it is and walks off, but you look to the left, you look to the right, there's a velvet rope there, that's all. So you're like, stuff it. And you're in, woo, woo, it doesn't even matter. You run, like Usain Bolt. Boom! You throw yourself... And you sit on the throne. You reach out, you grab the crown. You get a little staff. You put on the, the cape. And the policemen come running in with armed, you know, weapons drawn. And you say, stop in the name of the king or the queen, whatever you are. Stop, I command you to stop. Now, will the police stop? No, why? Because you're not the king. You're not the queen. You're not the ruler of the United Kingdom and the British Commonwealth. That's not true. You're just acting like you think you are. But even though you're acting like you think you are, you're not. Now that's a picture of sin. We act like we're the ones in control, not God. We're the king. We're the queen of our own little kingdom. And yet the reality is no matter what we think, it's not the truth. The truth has a problem with with what we think. Now, sin isn't something that you and I just do from time to time. Like, I've got pretty good weeks, and then I've got a day where I stuff it for five minutes. and then No, no, the Bible makes it clear. Sin is something that we, we just do all the time. Now, what does that mean? Well, think of that scale of goodness. What that means is that not only is this scale wrong in the sense that um, 
the, the, the entry mark to heaven is far higher than we think. That if we're honest with ourselves, we will know we're not up there. When we're honest with ourselves and we have a true self-assessment of life, we'll know we're far closer to old mate Adolf than we are at the top. We're not as good as we think we are. And that leaves us in a pretty um, dark situation, doesn't it? And I want to say, it especially leaves many of us um, in a dark situation who believed that this kind of thing is what Christianity teaches. Many, many, many people believe that Christianity is, um, is simply a process of trying to do good things in order to be good enough for God. And if you do enough good things or enough religious things and you accomplish them all together, you'll present it to God at the end of your life and he'll let you in. Or, or many people believe that Christianity is just a matter of sincerity, if you know what I mean. Like, well, um, it doesn't really matter what you believe, but as long as you're sincere about it, I sincerely believe this to be true, then that's what God is looking for. And so many people, perhaps you, uh, do good things or do religious things, go to church, pray, get baptised, confirm, communion, the rest of it, believing that this is some sort of um, qualifier for God. Yet look at verse 21 and 23 if you've got a Bible in front of you. Jesus addresses this exact problem. He says in verse 21 to 23, Many people will say to me on the day, the day of you know, judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things for you? Didn't I do that for you? I did miracles in your name. I did it. And what does Jesus say? Get away from me. I never knew you. The standard for entry into Christianity, the standard for entry into heaven is not being good enough. It's not being religious enough. It's not thinking you're a Christian that counts. And I want to make it clear, this is not a newfangled teaching I'm presenting to you. This is what Christianity has always been about. Being good enough for God has never been anywhere close to the truth of Christianity. So what do we do? It's a, it feels like a contradiction. Jesus tells us, enter. He gives an invitation, enter. But then it's very, very clear that, well, entry seems impossible. We can't enter. If it's like a nightclub, my shoes are never good enough. I'll never get in. It seems hopeless. But, remember back to the verse 13, verse 14 there? Jesus has made it very clear to us that whilst option number one, the wide path, the, 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 the house on the sand, that won't cut it, there is another option, another way to live. In verse 13, he calls it the narrow path, the narrow gate. Verse 24, the person who builds his house on the rock. Now, what is this way of living? Verse 24 articulates it perfectly. Listen to this. Jesus says this about, about entry. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The wide path, the sandy uh, foundation of a house, that's life ignoring God, ignoring Jesus, going your own way. So what's the narrow path? What's the house on the rock? The narrow path is a house that builds its foundations on Jesus. He is the rock on who he is, on what he says and on what he did. Now remember, just, just bear with me here. Remember, the first way is how do we justify ourselves before God? We justify ourselves, we think, by being good enough, by depending on ourselves. Uh, I will be good enough for God, but no matter what, it's not enough. 
But option two, the narrow path, the, the foundation of the rock, tells us that truly being a Christian, entering into Christianity, entering into God's eternal life, is the exact opposite of that. It's not based on me. It's based on he. It's not based on my goodness. It's based on Jesus. It's not based on what I've done. It's, what on, it's based on what Jesus did. Now, what did Jesus do? What is it that Jesus did that could qualify me for heaven? He died. The very centre of the life of Jesus, the mission that he was seeking to achieve, was his death. Success in Jesus' life was his departure from it. Why? Because when he died, the punishment you and I deserve for the sin that we've, the way we've treated God, acting like we're the king, we're the queen, the punishment we deserve from that, Jesus took it. Three days later, we, we saw last week, he rose from the dead. Proving his victory over sin, victory over death, not just that today, ruling over the world as the king. Now what that means, and this is incredibly important to hear, what that means is that entry into Christianity, entry into heaven is not based on what you do. It's not based on what you've done, but in spite of what you've done. What you and I have done is sin. What we deserve is not heaven, it's hell. Yet we can enter, not because we're so good, even though we're not. Heaven is not a place for good people. It's a place for bad people who love a good God, who have been saved by a good God. Now there's many places in the Bible that articulate this very clearly, but I think the one that does it best of all, or my favourite anyway, a little bit later, it's in the book of Ephesians, um, written just a few years after Jesus. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, um, I think clearly tell this to us in a really powerful way. I'm going to read this uh, for you. I want you, as I do so, just to consider the implications of what it means. Let me read it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, there's two words right at the centre of this that I want you to notice. You can become a Christian, what does he say? By grace, through faith. Grace and faith. And let's just take one minute just to think about those words. Grace is a word we actually don't use very often in our language. We kind of think it means elegance or something like that, or we say it before dinner. But no, no, in the Bible it has a very, very simple and beautiful definition. Grace means undeserved free gift of love. The undeserved free gift of love from God to us. It means something you get even though you don't deserve it. What do we get? What do we receive? What are we offered? The gift of God's undeserved love. God knows more about you than anyone else on this planet and yet he still loves you more than anyone else on this planet. God loves you not because you're good but even though you're not good, not good enough for his love anyway. God saves us. He offers entry into his kingdom, not on the basis of your good works, but because he loves you. Now, what does that mean? As clearly as I can, let me state it. You do not get right with God by being good enough. It's not the game. That's not the, the deal. It's not what's being said anywhere by Jesus. 
Salvation is not achieved. It's received. Being good is a great thing. Please don't stop being good. Being good is a wonderful thing. Your religious practice, uh, it can be a wonderful thing. But it will not save you. So how do you accept this grace? We have a look there again. Through faith. Now, faith is an interesting word. It's used far more commonly. That actually makes it more dangerous because it's misused so often. When it comes to religion and Christianity, many of us believe that faith simply means believing in the existence of God. Have you heard people like, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe God exists. Now, I, want to, I believe in Jesus. I want to say, yes, you do need to believe Jesus has done what he's done and that God exists. There is no Christianity without that sort of belief. But that's only half of the definition of the word faith. It's only half. And without the second half, well, it's wrong. So what is Christian faith? Faith is not only believing in God. It's believing God. Now, hold on. See the difference? What does it mean to believe someone? If I met you and I told you, hey, the, the car park's full, what does it mean to believe me? It means to take me at my word. Probably the best word to articulate this type of belief is trust. Saving faith is trust. Trust that Jesus has done what he did. He died on the cross and rose from the dead to take the punishment from your sins. Yes, I, I trust that he has done that and trust that it will do what he says it will do that it will justify us before God, that I do not need to try to justify myself. That's, that's what trust means. I'm a terrible swimmer. Um, so when I moved to the coast, I knew this would be a slight problem. Um, so I got in touch with a, a mate of mine uh, when I got here to, to teach me how to swim. I can swim in a, in a pool, okay, but I get to the ocean and I just get terrified, particularly where I can't stand. So I called my mate called Phil. Now, Phil had several things in his favour. One, he's a local. Two, he's a great swimmer. Three, he's bigger than me. And I just thought, if a shark goes for either of us, I mean, he's a delectable morsel. You know? I'll be fine. So Terrigal, 6.30 a.m., we go out. I'm cool, calm and collected until I'm one inch into water. Then I'm... <laughs> we get deeper and deeper and deeper. The water had seemed so calm. Now the only thing bigger than my terror seemed to be the waves crashing around me. And we get to the point of no return where I have to go beyond where I can stand. Phil jumps out backwards, you know, and he's two metres away, just beyond where I can grab. And he says, come on. And I go, nope, 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 nope. He goes, come on, mate, come on. I say, I can't do it, mate. I can't do it, I can't do it. He says, come on. I said, no, no, I'll, 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 I'll just tread water. I'll swim side to side. I'll go back. I'll, I'll do these things. And he says, no, trust me. Come on. Then he leans back and he shoves up his, his size 14 foot. <laughs> like, a, like a dolphin. Boom. There's his foot. And he goes, take my foot. Unfortunately, he just put it beyond where I could grab. <laughs> and so for the first time in 35 years... I went, and he moved his foot. But then he, he kept it back out, and I, I grabbed his foot, and, and at first he, he dragged me, and then he released his foot, and then I swam in the ocean. For the... I believed Phil. I, I trusted him because he was trustworthy. He was worthy of my trust. My dear friends, having faith in Jesus means more than just agreeing to the facts of it, who he is and what he's done. We need to trust him. Trust him for what? 
Trust him that what he has done on the cross on your behalf is enough. It's enough. He did it for you. He knows you. He knows what's required. It's finished. He did it. Trust him. Trust his identity. He is the one who through all things were made. He is God. Trust his resurrection. He rose from the dead. Trust his kingship over the world. He is the one in control, not you. Trust Jesus. I told you at the beginning of of this talk that uh, I was sure of what was going to happen when I died. And that you could be sure as well. Well, the reason for that is very, very simple. The reason you can be absolutely certain of eternal life, God's salvation, is because it is not based on your performance, which fluctuates at best, but is based on grace. A gift from God, from him to you. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who trusts in what Jesus has done as God, Saviour and King. A sinner saved by grace. And so the question is, what about you? When you consider what Jesus says, in the light of what we've just learned about what Jesus explains about Christianity and entry into it, just inside your own mind, are you a Christian? Are you someone who is trusted completely in Jesus for salvation and to be in control of your life. Well, how do you know? It's just simply and honestly asking yourself where your trust lies. On that last day before God, will your trust be in your own righteousness, your own goodness, or will it be in what Jesus has done? If it's not in Jesus, if you've known that forever and now you're just realising... Or maybe you've always thought you were a Christian, but now you're kind of realising, well, maybe I haven't been. Let me ask you, is today the day that you'd like to change that? You see, Jesus invites everyone everywhere to stop rejecting him and to accept his offer, to accept his invitation into life. He's inviting you to enter into Christianity, a new life today and eternal life forever. And it might well be, and I want to say, if this is you, I completely understand because I've sat in this very seat myself. I didn't become a Christian until I was nearly 30. I completely understand what you're saying, but it might well be as you consider this, you may be thinking, well, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do it, but I can't. I'm too far gone. I've done too many things, or um, I just need to fix my life up. I'm gonna, I, 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 my life is a mess. I need to sort that out, and I'll sort it out, then I'll come to Jesus. My dear friends, understand two things. Firstly, Jesus has seen it all. He knows it all. And even though he knows all of it, he loves you more than anyone. Secondly, when Jesus calls people, invites people to become Christians, he doesn't say, change, and you can enter. He says, enter, and you will change. So how do you become a Christian? Well, the way you become a Christian is by simply talking to God in prayer. Telling him you're sorry for what you've done. And you want to. You want Jesus to take his rightful place as the Savior and King of your life. And so, what I want to do now as we finish is I'm going to pray. And the prayer I pray is not magical, it's not Harry Potter, it's not a spell or anything. It's just the same thing that billions of Christians have done over thousands of years. Just a simple prayer of repentance, turning away from what we've done in faith, putting our trust in Jesus. And if that's something you'd like to do, if you'd like to pray along with me in the, in the silence of your mind, 
I'd love to invite you to do that. As I pray these words, just to repeat them in your mind as you talk to God. Um, I'd like to invite you to accept this offer uh, that Jesus is giving you today. Will everyone bow their heads uh, and let's pray. Father God, I know that I've rebelled against you in my thinking, in my speaking, and my actions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've acted like that. From today onward, I will serve Jesus as my Lord to the best of my ability. Please help me to do that. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again for me so that my sins can be forgiven. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Please come to me and take full control of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friends, I just want to say two things. Firstly, if you prayed that prayer, that's glorious, wonderful news, and we're so thrilled for you. The Bible tells us the angels celebrate when people put their trust in Jesus. Um, the most important thing you can do uh, is to talk to someone, let someone know. Come and speak to me or Adrian or, or the person who's brought you along today. We'd love to chat to you more about it. I want to say, though, if you didn't pray, if, you, if, if you're not at the stage where you're ready to do that yet, that's absolutely fine. Uh, we love you. We couldn't begin to think of manipulating or pressuring. We'd never want to do that. But I'd love to encourage you to keep looking into it, keep thinking about it. Um, and in a moment, time, I'll tell you an opportunity for you to do that. But what we're going to do now, just, just for a minute, is on your, uh, your seat uh, in front of you or around you, um, you'll see this card. Uh, it's titled, What is a Christian? How do I become one? It's just a feedback form for us. For you to let us know um, how you found the service, um, if you have prayed to put your trust in Jesus today, um, or on the back, there's an opportunity if you want to write any feedback or, or anything like that. What I'd love to invite you to do, and if you're a regular member, you are a Christian, I'd love to invite you to fill it out as well to make everyone else feel comfortable, is we're just going to take a minute, and I'd love to invite you to fill that out. Um, and there's boxes at the back of church that you can drop it in on the way out. Um, if you're watching online or if you prefer to do it online yourself, there is a QR code uh, there that will be on the screen online for you to do that. So um, the band's going to lightly play some, some music um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to fill that out, uh, and then in a minute's time, I'll tell you what's going to happen next.
the other card you can see on your, uh, your chair uh, is this invitation to life. Adrian mentioned it. Life is a great series where uh, we get a chance to really dig deeper into the things that we've talked about today. So if you prayed today, if you didn't, we'd love for you to take this home with you, chuck it on your fridge, wherever it is, uh, and love for you to, to come along. There's registration details on the back. If you're a regular member, why don't you take this as well and invite someone, bring someone along with you. Uh, if you're watching online, I've just been told there's no QR code. So just go to the website uh, and do next steps. We'd love to do that. Well, what better thing for us to do uh, in response to the great news of Jesus than to sing? So I'm going to hand over to Cass and the guys. Thanks.